Good morning. How y'all doing? Good. Are you really? Everybody's good? Because that was kind of eh. We're all good. I see some of my Canadian friends are back. Yes. Glad to have you from Canada. We've, I've been waiting on you. Yeah, I have. Um, okay, so first off, I want to show you something precious because um, Taylor, who you've been missing for a little bit, had her baby. Yeah, so let's put her up. Oh! <laughs> How sweet is she? Oh my gosh. The sweetest thing ever. And so she'll be back with us soon. And I'm sure y'all will be able to get a lot of cheek sugar when she comes. Um, but also I wanted to put up um, this link for you. You can scan it. Um, because they are doing like a, a meals for her deal and you can even like put money in you could put gift cards in for them while she's home with her sweetheart like gift cards for DoorDash and I mean all kinds of stuff I don't know how we survived back when we had babies I'm gonna tell you how I survived my mother that's how I survived but let, and her mother is in town and she's awesome but you know let's give mom a break so a little DoorDash wouldn't hurt or, uh, you know, kind of gift cards for meals. But all of that, if you scan that with your phone, uh, take a picture of it. It'll take you to that link. It's called, I think, meals, mealstrain.com or something like that. But she'll be back soon. And I'm going to tell you what, she does not miss a beat. She was literally in labor sending me stuff that I needed to show up for. Talking to me. She is my boss. I want you to know that. And then I would like text her back going, how, how far dilated are you? And she'd be like, I'm at a nine. I go, girl, <laughs> quit running my life. It's about time to push. Like we got to get this baby. Oh my gosh. She's awesome. So anyway, I wanted to do that. And then last week, someone said, why don't we sing all the time? Well, I don't have a musician, but I guess we don't have to because there's a whole denomination that doesn't have instruments, right? And anybody grow up in that denomination? Oh, I see some back there. So it's kind of nice just to hear voices. So I thought, let's do a little singing before we start um, this morning. Are you all ready to do that? I do think it sets the tone. All right, here we go. Okay, I'm switching mics and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you in this. I'm going to pick a key that I like, I guess. Oh. Testing, testing. Okay, here we go. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run. The fountain I drink from. Oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song, you are good, good, oh, 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 let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails, the anchor in the waves, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins, the echo of my days. Oh, he is my song. We're going to do you are good. You are good. Good. Oh, you are good. Good, oh, you are good, good, oh, you are good, good, oh, 
that was so pretty. Now, y'all are going to have to sing out a little bit more next time. Did y'all know that song? No? Well, we'll bring it back then. See, that's what happens. You got to keep bringing it back, right? And then eventually you learn to love it. And so who needs music? But it's awesome. Do you believe God is good? I do know that he is the anchor in the waves for sure. He is the wind um, in my sails at some time. So I'm hoping he's going to blow this morning. Are you ready? Okay, let me pray and then we'll switch mics after I pray and then we'll get started. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you that um, we can just lift up our voices and sing worship to you this morning. You are good. You are a good God. Man, I'm so thankful of that. Lord, um, when I don't even know what you're doing, sometimes it brings fear, but I can always trust who you are, that you are good. And so I can trust your heart and your goodness and that you're a promise-keeping God and that you're all-powerful, you're omniscient, um, and I can trust you. I can trust you in the present, and I can trust you in the future. And so, God, I pray that you would speak through me today. Um, that I would actually learn things from my own mouth that I didn't even know I knew and that you would bring it together in a concise way and that each woman would um, receive some kind of nugget of truth that was specifically for her this morning. Um, we love you, Lord. We worship you. There's one thing I know. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm so thankful for that that as we look around in this world, sometimes our eyes bring great fear and insecurity when we look at the empires of the world. Um, it brings tons of fear. But God, I need to remember to lift my eyes up because I'm actually a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and you are seated on your throne. You are aware and you are in control. Nothing surprises you, nothing gets by you. You are maneuvering the kingdoms of the world, and you are also transforming me at the same time. And so I love you. You just are so worthy of our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're headed into uh, Daniel chapter 2. And it's one of the longest, I think it is the longest chapter in Daniel chapter 2, and it is one of the most entertaining stories of the book, and so I'm literally going to read the whole chapter, and then we're going to begin to break it down. So are y'all ready? All right, you're all at Daniel chapter 2, and I know you're going to ask me this later. English Standard Version is what I read out of. All right, so here we go. Pretty bad when you have contacts and you still have to add a little reader to it. <laughs> I think that's God's way, though, don't you? As we get older, we need to see and be seen in soft lighting. <laughs> I don't need to see every detail. Lord, I put these on. I mean, have you ever looked in it? You, yes, I know you have. In a 10 by magnifying mirror? That is shocking. <laughs> yes. My mom and I are always talking about how when we leave in the morning, we kind of think we're cute. I mean, obviously, or we wouldn't go out, but we think we're cute. And I swear we will shop half a day and look in the mirror and go, what happened? Does anybody else do that? Like, I could swear to you when we left the house this morning, I looked cute. And now I look like I've been road hard and hung up wet. I know that's a southern, that's a southern saying, but I'm like, what happened to me? So anyway, soft lighting, it's good. When we get older, our eyesight doesn't need to be that great. And if you're married to a man, they need to be seen in soft lighting too as they get older. You know, y'all are just looking at each other and thinking you're pretty. That's awesome. Okay, but to read, I need glasses. Here we go. <laughs> in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, 
and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldean said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. I guess that's what you start every conversation with a king. O king, live forever. I don't know if we need to start that, but... Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dreams and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your house shall be laid in ruins. Some of you, it says, uh, your house will be like dung. Do you, does, anybody else have, does anybody have that? I'm going to make your house an outhouse, is basically what he's saying. Okay? Woo! But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall, re you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or, or, or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh or with man. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and Daniel answered and said, so he sings a song, or he, he, it's like a poem. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things, and he knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might. You have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter." Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy, the wise men of Babylon, and he went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. <clears throat> to you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. <clears throat> so what was he laying in bed thinking about to begin with? The future. Okay. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me... This mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the li all living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, 
and behold a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you look, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that no trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of men, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. <clears throat> Betty liked that. Nothing like a narcissist king. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all things. And as you saw, the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the king of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever." just as you saw that a stone was cut from the mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and the interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods. And the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king that he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. That is a story. That's good stuff. Okay, before we start breaking that up, I didn't, I had one more point um, that I wanted to make from chapter one that I forgot to add on. Do you see the last verse in chapter one? It says, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Right? That's a big deal because King Cyrus was the king of, of what empire? Persia, all right? And so all that we talked about last week um, where it is talking about the fact that God is in control, that where it appears like Nebuchadnezzar is in control, that the whole point of chapter one is no, Actually, I'm in control. God is in control. That last verse really means something. It's really important because what it is saying is that Daniel's influence, right, that God had given him, it is going to outlast not only Nebuchadnezzar, but the entire Babylonian empire, and it's going to go into the Persian empire. And so in many ways, when we talked about how interesting it is, the fact that, yes, it looks like Babylon invaded Jerusalem, which it did. In many ways, Jerusalem invaded Babylon. And that influence 
outlasted the Babylonians. It, it remained until the, uh, the Persian Empire, until they were able to return back to Jerusalem, Daniel's influence. So I wanted to point that out. All right, chapter two. So we must not allow our curiosity or infatuation with future events to distract us from the main theme of this chapter. The majority of the time when people open up chapter two, they go straight for the image. They start breaking down the different empires within the image and trying to predict based on these images what will happen in the future. And I, I need you to understand that the theme is still vital, right? God is the supreme power and wisdom and only God's wisdom can reveal the mysteries of life. And we're going to look at that. Who has the ability, the true ability to tell the future? In fact, it is not the revelation of the future that is even primary in this chapter. We... He does not explain the different empires, but instead the fact that Daniel's God knows it. That's the point. The point is not exactly, and we can, I will tell you who I believe the empires are. Um, there's a little debate on it, but that's not the point necessarily of the overall chapters. It is an image of the kingdoms of men in general. And the, but the point of the fact is that Daniel's God knows it. Daniel's God knows the future and can be trusted. This is the point of the chapter. This is especially important to God's people who are in exile. Right? Remember the point of why he's writing this to comfort those in exile. Why is this a comfort? Because everything they see right now is the fact that Nebuchadnezzar is king, that the world power is over them. They don't know the future, but they can trust that God does. By every earthly proof, it seems like Nebuchadnezzar's in control, which is scary. Because if he wakes up in a bad mood, people will die. Do you understand that? The man needs a cup of coffee. I mean, some of your kids think it's that bad at your house, you know, that if you wake up in a bad mood, they might die. But I want you to think about what this absolute power can do. He has the power to wake up in a bad mood after a dream and literally annihilate a whole group of people. That's the power we're talking about. We today don't necessarily live in that kind of a kingdom or hierarchy to where we see that kind of power, but that is what they were living in. In a moment, if he was ticked off, it could be your head. That's a lot of power. So Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he is visibly, obviously, upset. So what does he do? He calls in the professionals. There is a way that they do things in Babylon. And when you have a dream, he calls in the professionals. He calls in the political, the political consultants, the trend spotters, and the religious gurus. He wants all of their opinions as to what's going on. The Babylonians were very superstitious people. And they were always attempting to foretell the future to alleviate anxiety of what was coming. Isn't it interesting that he is basically king over all. I'm sure he was anxious of um, building the empire, and now he's anxious to what? Keep it. Reminds me of money. You're either worried about getting it, or you're worried about keeping it, right? This, this power, like we have control. How would they do it? Well, they would uh, discover indications of future trends and events by looking at the sky, astrology, um, bizarre births, the shape and the jiggle of animal livers. <clears throat> yeah. And dreams. All right. Literally, they would put animal livers on a plate. They would shake them. And depending on how they shook or what they look like, they would predict the future. All right, crazy town. But I'm going to tell you what, some people are using some pretty crazy town stuff today as well to predict the future. We could go all into that. Um, but the dreams is one, it is one place 
I believe the Babylonian religion and the faith of David could possibly intersect. Don't you? And all the bizarro things they do to predict the future or to hear from the gods. Dreams, they believe that dreams were divine, okay? And that also intersects Daniel's faith because there's history in the biblical story about God coming to people what? In visions, okay, visions are a little than, different than dream, but God giving them visions or dreams. And so this was an area I feel like the two could kind of cross. And it's interesting because the other ones were absolutely forbidden to the Jewish people. Deuteronomy eighteen fourteen. For these nations which are about which you are about to dispose, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. Let me read that one more time. He's talking to his people in Deuteronomy. In uh, what's Deuteronomy? What's that book? The second law we call it, right? Because he is going back over for the. The generation that grew up in the wilderness, he's going back over everything. And he is telling them before they go in uh, to the promised land, he's like the people that you're about to kick out. They listen to sorcerers and fortune tellers, and you are not allowed to do this. Okay, one reason is because when you, when you look into that stuff, it allows for too much interpretation and manipulation. God don't play. And so he's like, don't do that. But dreams, they were a way that the Babylonians believed that the gods spoke. And to the Jew, there was experience with dreams. Think about it. Can you think of some? <clears throat> How about uh, Joseph in the Old Testament? Okay, Old Testament Joseph. He had dreams as a young man about the sun, the moon, the stars bowing down to him. He should have kept that to himself for a little longer. He was very naive. Um, but he had that. Not only that, do you remember the Egyptians? They had dreams, and actually Joseph was able to <clears throat> interpret the dream, right? Um, even before that, Jacob had visions. Um, how about New Testament Joseph? He had a dream too. God came to him in a dream and said, you know, don't divorce Mary. She didn't have a boyfriend. What she's saying is legit. This is the Christ, and so he, so we have, he knows history of dreams. But even with dreams, there was a, a protocol that the king would use. And he would call all the professionals in. He would tell them the content of the dream. And then they would interpret it. That's how they did it. And they had ways of doing so. And they had writings from the wise men in the past of how to interpret things and how to, how to view them. But you always told the dream. And then you gave the interpretation. But this time he changes it up. He literally will not tell them the dream. Now I'm going to tell you, I, I have a friend who dreams like I have never seen all the time. I can't even remember my dreams. They say that you dreams, that every person dreams five times a night. Well, I don't remember anything. I drink coffee before I go to bed. I say goodnight. I lay back, go to sleep. Nothing. I don't remember anything. Praise the Lord. Because when I, I'm telling you, that's the only right reason I'm saying is that the Lord has let me sleep at night. But my friend dreams the craziest dreams all the time. I mean, she'll dream this one dream that is so weird. I've yet to interpret it about an outhouse that she sees an outhouse, opens the door, and in the outhouse, the, the toilet area becomes shrimp cocktail. <laughs> what is that? Okay. But anyway, and then I think some rock star comes walking out. I don't know, but it's weird. But she dreams all the time, and, and so many times she'll tell me about her dream. But if I've been with her a lot, which I, I am with her a lot, I literally can almost interpret them. Because I'll go, well, of course you did, because here's this little part of your day. Here's this little part of your day. That was our conversation mixed with this. And I have this way of putting it. She's like, you know, you got a point. They say that dreams are our way at night, right? Right of kind of making sense 
of things and putting things together. I do not know. But the fact is, what I cannot do is tell her what her dream was. She gives me the information about the dream and then I joke around and guess like I'm a dream interpreter, which I'm not. But my point is, he really changed it up on them. He would not tell them why. Well, different theologians debate as to why. You know, some say, well, he forgot his dream, which we can understand. But if he completely forgot it, then how's he going to know if what they say kind of makes sense, right? Or is he truly testing their loyalty and their ability to tell him right things? Is he feeling a little paranoid about the people that are around him? And he knows that if they tell the correct dream, then he can also trust the interpretation. Well, what if it's a combination of all of it? Have you ever had a dream and you do remember parts and you don't remember other parts? You're trying to, you know enough but it doesn't fit together because he actually said at the beginning of the chapter that he had dreams, multiple. And so maybe he remembers some, he doesn't remember others and he doesn't know how to, how to put it together. But what we do know is that he is troubled about it. It says in verse one, he had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. And then later on, it says again, and he was seriously troubled about this dream. That word for troubled is pa'am, P-A-A-M. And it means to beat something consistently. In other words, something is hammering at his thoughts. He cannot let it go. Have you ever had anything like that? You just, you got something in your craw. I'm so much like that. This has nothing to do with dreams, but do you, do you ever just get irritated? And you, you just can't let it go. You just can't. You've already had one conversation about it, but still going. So you got to circle back and have another conversation. This is what the men in our lives hate. I'm not, you know, I'm going to circle back long enough that this stops, right? It's just, but it's, it's just annoying him. He cannot let it go. Have you ever thought about how um, crazy it is, our infatuation or our addiction with knowing the future? We have it too. Do you realize that there is a resurgence in astrology today? Like, big time and it is especially amongst the millennials and generation z uh, one writer says this millennials have taken astrology and run with it they feel like they are the most stressed out generation of all and they're <laughs> and they're looking to astrology to cope that's how they feel that's their feeling okay and, uh, yeah, um, <clears throat> I found this uh, article that I thought was interesting. It says, why millennials and Gen Z love astrology. You're probably, you've probably noticed that astrology is having a moment. You can't log in Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok without seeing a horoscope, a meme about your sign, or a joke about toxic Scorpio men. And in 2022, it's not a wild concept to put your sun sign on your dating profile. But astrology today isn't exactly the astrology of our parents' generation. It's gone from being a new age belief to a memified way for millennials to express their identity it goes way deeper than just knowing their big three astrological signs, the sun, moon, and rising signs. Our pop culture podcast team spoke to an astrologer and a podcaster to understand how Gen Zers and millennials are applying astrology to their everyday lives and why we're all so fascinated with the cosmos. When it comes to astrology, you might know about horoscopes and your zodiac sign, but there's more to it than that. Taborn says that astrology is the study of the movement of the planets and celestial objects through the zodiac belt through the sky and the relationship between those movements and what happens down here on earth. Essentially, it boils down to as above, so below. 
And for some people, astrology is an entire system of belief to analyze themselves, their decisions, and the world around them. And that goes for all levels, from the weather to our politics to our interpersonal relationships to what's happening inside our bodies, what's happening spiritually, emotionally, etc. Our obsession with astrology isn't just a TikTok trend. Humans have been looking up at the stars and trying to figure out what they mean for thousands of years in ancient China, Babylon, Samaria, Rome, Egypt, and Greece. Humans practice their own forms of astrology, and at some point during the first millennium, aspects of these disparate forms of astrology came together and formed the basis for astrology that many in the Western world still practice today, also known as Hellenistic astrology. It's really important to recognize how astrology has been very popular throughout the ages and then has gone through super intense declines and basically become obsolete or just secretive in certain times as well and then comes back again. Before the 2020s, the most recent period of popularity for astrology was the New Age movement in the 1960s and 70s. For a while after that, though, astrology was regulated to weekly horoscopes and cheap pickup lines. But over the past decade, all of that has changed. There is a lot of theories, one being that we turn to astrology in times of turmoil. Why? trying to predict what's going to happen. Galeno, who writes about astrology, pointed to events like the 2020 pandemic as an example. In times of uncertainty, people want things that reassure them, that we can look to and say, I know this to be true, she said, and they go on. I thought that was really interesting, um, but I especially loved what one writer said one um, psychologist said this, one of the most powerful influences on fear is uncertainty. One of the most powerful influences on fear is uncertainty. The less we know, the more threatened we feel because lack of knowledge means we don't know what we're going to need to survive. I sat here for a minute, and I'm, I'm not going to like totally expand on it, but just think about that. That goes all the way back to the fall for me, to where there was no anxiety, there was no worry about the future. It was a complete relationship with a trust in God on the day-to-day -day God provided. But when sin came, this knowledge of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, from that came this self-awareness, but this awareness of some other things. If you look at the, <clears throat> the penalties of sin, what were some of them? Well, you're going to work, but the ground is not going to be your friend. There may be days now it doesn't produce. So guess what? Every day in the garden, they didn't have to worry about if their food was going to be there. It was going to be there. They just tended what God gave them. But now they were going to bust their butt to make a living. And it wasn't always going to happen. And so therefore they had to plan for the future. They had to store up. And there was this anxiety of will we have enough and can we pay our bills? <laughs> and at the end of it, there's also the worry that at the end, you're going to die. Okay, the world is not a safe place now. There's going to be pain. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be death. So how do we survive? This part of that is what makes us human, the, the ability to uh, think about the future and to plan. It's, it does. It keeps us alive. I mean, that part, it does, but it brings an enormous amount of fear and anxiety. And you can look at that with the woman in hers too. And so you have this idea of that we need to know knowledge brings power because that is going to give us the ability to survive. But how much knowledge? We talked about that last week too. When I said, but if we had all knowledge, do we even have the power to do anything about it? And what would I have done if I would have known in advance that horrible day that my son died? I would have ruined everything before that because I, I don't need that knowledge. I, I couldn't have handled that knowledge in advance. And so 
you have all of this uh, going on in this concept, but the fact is that we feel like if we know what is coming, that then we have the power to survive and all that is wrapped up. I do it today. Oh gosh, what's going to happen with the dollar? What should I do? Should I take my money out of the banks? Well, what difference will it make? The money won't be worth anything. Oh my gosh, I need to grow my own food. Look what they're doing. They're poisoning us and they're, they're, uh, they're burning all of the, the cattle and, and they're paying farmers not to grow stuff. They're trying to control us. This population control. What am I going to do? I'm going to have a garden. It's going to be filled with roaches. So I guess I'm just going to live on roaches. I mean... We all do it because we want to know the future because we want power. That's how we drive. We don't drive by looking at the end of the car. We drive by looking as far down the road as we can because we want to be able to survive and see what's coming and look around the corner as far as we can. It is that. And so Nebuchadnezzar, something is troubling him. That is coming, but I will tell you this, his stubbornness actually causes the diviners themselves to utter one of the overall truths in this chapter, and that is this, the future is unknown to us. The future is unknown to us. What do they say? They say, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. Solomon knew this, the wisest man. He wrote in Ecclesiastes 7.14, he says, when times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. So why do we keep trying? The Babylonians kept trying. We keep trying. 125 million people today say they believe in astrology. 70 million read their horoscope every day. 7% of those, which you think wouldn't be that much, but we're talking about 12 million people, change their behavior based on their horoscope. And this one is the one that hurts my feelings the most. 10% of evangelical Christians say that they participate somehow with astrology. Do you remember uh, Jean Dixon in the 60s? Do you remember what she predicted? What was it? Everything. But the assassination of JFK, do you remember that? And, and do you want to know how basically uh, generic the, the description was? She said this, a Democrat will win the office, will win the election, and the president will die, and he will die in office. Okay, what's the chance that a Democrat wins the election? 50-50. That time there were two, you know, two categories. Democrat, Republican, 50-50, all right. And do you want to know what the probability that the, the president uh, would die in office during that time? Uh, mathematicians say about 47% because the security was so bad. So let's give her a 20%, ah, okay? According to biblical history, that's not that great. Not to mention the fact she also predicted that World War III would start, I think she said like 1953, and it didn't. And she also predicted that Jackie O would never remarry. So according to biblical standards, she's not a prophet, she's a false prophet. But yet... We still want to know. And Nebuchadnezzar called in everybody to know. But he's about to find out exactly what Isaiah tells us and has been telling us. I want to show you some passages in Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 41, 21 through 24. Isaiah 41, 21 through 24. 
the futility of idols. He says this, set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. So bring your idols. Let them tell us the future. Tell us the formal, former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcomes or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Do good or do harm, that we may dismay and be terrified. Behold, you are nothing, and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. What is he saying? Go ahead, bring your idols, set them up, ask them. Ask them. Ask them what happened in the past. Better yet, ask them what's going to happen in the future. They won't know. And so, how ridiculous is it? This is an abomination. He is saying, then look at 46, Isaiah 46, 5 through 7. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me, that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god, then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders and they carry it. They set it in place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. He's like, this is not a god. This is something you made into a god. That you carry around. What, what, what does that have to tell? You're manipulating it. You're coming up with what you want. You're deciding. Look at verses 9 through 10 in that same chapter. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. He's like, there's no one like me. There's no one like me that's outside of time that sees it all at once. I know the end from the beginning. Last one, 47, 13 through 14. He says, you are weary with many counsels. You're wearing yourself out with all your counsels that you're asking, searching. Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. Behold, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flames. No coal for warming oneself is this, no fire to sit before. Such to you are those to whom you have labored. You understand what he's saying? He's like, go ahead. You are wearing yourself out trying to find the answers from things that aren't God. People who are dividing the stars and they're coming up with all this. Do you realize that those same people cannot even save themselves? So how good are they? at telling the future. There is no one like God. No one. But Daniel is about to reveal the mystery and therefore the unique power of his God. Future is unknown to us, but it is known by who? By God. So the decree comes out. Ariok comes to Daniel. The fact is Daniel's life is at stake. We don't know if word had ever already gotten out. We don't know. It doesn't say so. But it says that Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. Or if you look at other ones, counsel and taste. Or wisdom and tact. And I love this. It says, he's like, whoa, 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 Ariok. He's like, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Right? Why? Because the king, he is afraid. 
He is anxious. He is troubled. And when we are in fear, everything is what? Urgent. Have you, have you not ever been in a situation where like your kid calls you? Maybe I'm the only one. And it is like full on freaking panic. And the first thing you have to do is what? Calm, cool your jets. Like I'll go, I, I am the best at this. So call me when you're freaking out. But I'm like, Hillary, one of the, the best pictures from Hillary's wedding at the courthouse is the two of us are talking and you see me looking at her like this. This should be like, it says something about this. It is the cutest picture. She's listening and I'm saying, it's okay. Everything's going to be just fine, right? And I'm calming her down. But that is what we do. We're like, okay, take a breath. Let's take a breath here. This take God by surprise. He didn't see this coming. Is, is, he, is he in charge? It's okay. Let's take a breath. It seems like life and death right at this moment, but God is in charge, right? I was speaking to a young uh, 10-year-old not too long ago, and, and there was some bad stuff happening. All heck was breaking loose. All heck was breaking loose. And so I looked at him, and I said, can I ask you something? He's like, yeah. I said, does God love you? And he goes, yes. I said, yeah, he does. He's crazy about you. I go, do you think this event took God by surprise? And he goes, no, God writes everything in his calendar. <laughs> I'm like, I'm in love with you. I'm going to steal you from your parents. Um, and I go, yes, he does. And I said, so if he knew it was coming and he loves you, do you think that he's probably got everything in place uh, to take care of you in this situation? And he's like, yes. And it was a sweet moment, but when we have fear and anxiety and everything, we go berserko. And Daniel is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. Okay, what's happening? What is going on? And Arioch tells Daniel the situation, which I think is interesting. He doesn't have to. What's his job? Kill. His job is not to think. His job is to swing. Like, uh, that's it. But yet he does. And he tells Daniel what is going on. I wonder if it's because Arioch himself realizes the king is freaking out and crazy and about to kill a lot of people and probably needs to calm down. I wonder if he had, these are just all my wonderings, and I know y'all probably don't care, but I'm wondering, does, you know, has he had a relationship with Daniel? Has he had any experience with Daniel? I don't know. I'm also wondering if this is one of those and God gave favor moments where he then shares the story but Daniel goes in and he asks for time and it is granted which takes me back to that first meeting where if you remember when he met with the king and the king realized that they were like head and shoulders above everybody else and so if Daniel says give me time I'm going to bring you the interpretation there's a shot there and the bottom line is this, the king may be being crazy, but what does he ultimately want to know? He really wants to know the answer. And so Daniel is, says, okay, give me time. So he goes to his friends. And do you notice that in the same chapter, this time, their Hebrew names are used, but then later on when they get the roles to be over uh, the province of Babylon, we go back to their... Um, Babylonian names. So why is it important right now that he uses their Hebrew names? Well, do you remember what they need? What they mean? I mean, God is my judge. The Lord is gracious. Who is like he is? The Lord is my help. So what are we remembering? The only way they will survive is to remember who their God is and who they are. Remember, purpose is identity in action. So we're being reminded of that, that they know who they are, they know who their God is, they know what his ability is, and they're trusting him. And so the Babylonian diviners were half right, were they not? No human 
can read a mind. No human can tell the future. But there is a God who dwells with men. They were wrong about that. It's Daniel's God. And he can. These Hebrew men asked God to reveal a mystery to them, something beyond human comprehension, and God gave the, the answer to Daniel that night. And I love it. Do you see in that chapter that after he answered Daniel and he gave him the vision, and by the way, it says vision, not dream, which is like an awake state that God gave him in a vision. It wasn't just about having a dream. That he, he answered their prayer. And then do you see that next is a song or a poem? Anytime you see that in scripture, you need to take notice. Because it's like, it's almost like we're watching a musical. Do you understand? It's like one of those movies we watch where you see this action and then all of a sudden they start singing and now it's like this kind of celebration. When you see that in these poems, almost always it's going to tell you something special. It's going to give you the main theme and deep meanings and it's going to use language that they're familiar with. And so what are the deep meanings or the points inside of this song? Well, I kind of rewrote it. I just wanted it to make it into my own poem to rhyme. So basically in my notes, I put blessed is the name of God forever to whom belongs all wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons and gives wisdom to the wise. He has dominion over kings and reveals deep and hidden things and darkness cannot hide because all light dwells with him. This is who God is. He is worshiping. That's what he's doing. Do you realize that's what worship is? That we stop and we worship the attributes of God and the truths of God because we've seen something, we've experienced something and so we worship him. I don't know if this applies or not, but when I was sitting there, I remembered that in my story, you know, you guys know parts of my story in the sense that, you know, I had the, the quiet time in January where God gave me the words, wait, watch, and pray. In January 2020, which is very unusual because he doesn't do that to me often. He doesn't give me a verse every year or like some of my spiritual friends and they get a word for the year, like encouragement. I'm like, well, good. God didn't give me anything the first week of January. I don't know what my word or verse is. Um, I feel like he has a word for me every day. So, um, but it was wait, watch, and pray. And I laugh about that when I speak. I really laugh about it because I tell him that when I first saw it, I thought it was about my love life. That God was saying, oh, baby, just wait and watch and pray, you know, and I, I know what you need. And, um, when I go out and speak, I'm like, I'm going to sign up for FarmersOnly.com because, you know, just pretty farms out there, whatever. And I always need to add some humor in that part of my story because the rough stuff's coming, right? And so after that, I talk about how those words changed for me, um, you know, when Zachary passed away. And then I go into the story about legit how I screamed at the top of my lungs, screaming at God for an entire night, accusing him of everything. Um, how dare you take my son? And I screamed and screamed, scared the people I was with, screamed myself into such a fit, I was put to bed. The next morning I got up and I, I tell this, that I was on, the, on my patio and I was worn out. And that's when I, I thought, huh, wait, watch and pray who got those words. Peter did. Can you not just, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, can you not just wait and watch and pray? Because something is coming that is going to rock you to your core. And I talk about that, that how it did rock me to my core. It made me question everything that I thought I believed. And I remember when I, I got that, I was sitting there and I thought, huh. And I felt God speaking to me. And I wanted so badly to uh, see Zach. I told someone that uh, I'd prepared him for everything in his life. To be quite honest, that's my personality. I'm a preparer, a pusher, an achiever, uh, whatever. I mean, there was nothing that boy was not prepared for. Because we had to do everything well, you know. I even prepared him for the locker room in middle school. I mean, I told him. 
I said, dude, these high school boys, boys are brutal. Do not take a shower in your underwear for any reason whatsoever. You just be proud of that body, get in that shower butt naked, and you just act like you're proud because if they're like animals, if they see absolute fear in you or any fear, they will bully you until you cannot even see straight. So later on in life, people told me after that every day in middle school, Zachary would come in the uh, locker room and go, well, time for Hot Power to get naked, and he would just get in the shower. <laughs> But I mean, I prepared him for everything. We talked about everything because I wanted him to know and feel confident. And I remember sitting there thinking, but I couldn't prepare him for this. I don't know anything. I don't know what it's like. I've never been to heaven. What is that like? I, and I was just, it was weird. I was just sitting there and I was just trying to, trying so hard to imagine what that was like. And I was so sad and broken. And I remember a worship song came on. I had never heard it in my life, which is unusual because I listen. And part of the word struck me. It said this, and I will lock eyes with the one who's ransomed me, the one who gave me joy for morning. And I will lock eyes with the one who's chosen me, the one who set my feet to dancing. And it goes on to say, I'm not alone, I'm finally home. I'm safe here in his arms. And I remember sitting there, ooh, after I just sobbed my eyes out, because my son was the best dancer you've ever seen. He legit was. And I thought, huh, that's the truth in that worship song that I needed to know. Because at that moment, it seemed like death won. That death had a victory because I had tried to keep him alive for so long and death had won and I had failed. And then I realized, what are you talking about, Shannon? Death has not won. You don't have to see heaven to believe it. It's true. You know it is. You don't have to see Zachary. You don't have to. What do you know? That because of Jesus, and I did prepare him for this, because of Jesus, that boy is in eternity, and God has turned mourning into joy. He's breathing for the first time at peace. And he is with the one that set his feet to dancing. And so in that moment, I was able to have this vision in my mind of him taking a breath with no anxiety, no depression, no mental pain, and that he got to dance. And I saw him in high school with those dimples that he had because that was the truth of the issue. And right now for these exiles, they think there's no hope. Their temple has been destroyed. There's a few of them left and they've been taken captive in Babylon and they don't see the end of it. And it seems like Babylon or Nebuchadnezzar has won. And what Daniel is telling them is this, blessed is the name of God forever, to whom belongs all wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He gives wisdom to the wise. He has dominion over kings and he reveals deep and hidden things and darkness, nothing can be hidden from him in the dark because he is light. The king of the world is not Nebuchadnezzar, it's God. Nebuchadnezzar has power, but he doesn't have absolute power. God does. And don't we need to know that today? Worship today. It changes everything. Get in your car today and play some worship so that you see deep themes of who God is and what he is doing and that he can be trusted. And we have so much more to look at in this section. You're going to love it about the future. And I'm going to tell you some prophecies. I'm going to tell you just 16 of the 300 there are about how God can so beautifully predict the future. And then we're going to talk about the image. 
All right. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you for the depth of your scripture. I thank you that we're not in a hurry, that we get to really dive deep and see all that you have. And Lord, I just skimmed the surface. I pray that something inside of them was um, brought to life, that they want to get their face in this book and they want to sit with it, dance with it, meditate on it like a dog with a bone. What about this lesson, this beginning part, sticks with them? Is it the idea that they live in such anxiety because they just feel this need to know what is going to happen in the future so that they can be prepared? Lord, there are things coming in the future that we're not even worried about. There are things that aren't going to come in the future that we are worried about. The future belongs to you. It does not belong to us. At the end of the day, many times uncertainty of the future will make us romanticize the past, which is crazy. God, may we trust you in the present. Leave the future in your hands. You see it. And when you need, you are a revealer of mysteries to us. We trust you. Give us this day our daily bread. And that is what you're teaching us to do. And so God, I pray that I would trust you. I pray that I would show wisdom, that I would have understanding, but that I truly would trust you with my life. I sure love you. In Jesus' name, amen.